Indeed, we serve a God who is faithful. Scripture affirms that with our God, there is no shadow of turning. There's no changing with Him elsewhere. It declares that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And indeed, in this season of thanksgiving, we thank Him for His great faithfulness to us. Again, we're delighted you're here and hope that you've already sensed God's presence near to you as we've drawn near to Him in worship this morning. Well, I've received my first Christmas present of this season, uh, and I was delighted uh, to have a couple of my friends put it in my hand, and they said, oh, but we want you to open it now. We want to see your delight. And so um, I did, and I wanted to share it with you. Uh, and my wife is here. This is the first that she will get to see this very special gift. It's a 2008 calendar, and the focus is chickens. Chickens. Now, if you don't know the story, Kathy and I moved to the country this year, and I've had a hankering to begin raising chickens. And I've had a, a PR campaign on this, working overtime to get her to agree to this. And And when my two friends, Clay and Marla, saw this, calendar, they couldn't resist the urge to buy it. And so I'm going to place it in a very prominent place in our home. And every time that Kathy sees it, it'll just scream chicken, chicken, chicken at her. You know, I, I don't know what she has against chickens. I mean, these are beautiful birds. It looks like they've all been bathed and blown dry and... I, I see no particular reason not to have chickens. So maybe this will add to uh, my ability to convince and influence my dear partner about chickens. This morning, I, I want to uh, bring our attention back to the focus uh, and focus on God's word. That passage that Dave read a few moments ago from Paul's letter to the Romans. And so I'd encourage you to take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 12. Uh, if you didn't bring your Bible, you can use the one in the pew rack or the scripture text will also be projected on the screen behind me. Romans 12. Now, you've heard me say it before, and I believe this with all of my heart. <clears throat> I believe that we are what we do repeatedly. We are what we do repeatedly. That is to say that the things that that you and I do on a repeated basis, day after day after day, day in and day out, not only shape our routines, but shape our character. And ultimately, these life habits also have an inherent power to shape our destinies. Today, I want to talk to you about life habits. And I want to focus on two fundamental life habits that I think are absolutely essential for every serious Christian, for every individual, no matter what your age or no matter how long you've been walking with the Lord, two life habits that you and I need to constantly be coming back to as fundamentals of our journey with God. And that forming these good life habits will help us to experience the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, I've come to give you life and that life more abundantly. That many of us are still not accessing 
all the privileges that we have in Christ Jesus, we are not experiencing the fullness of God's blessing and His power in our life. We're not experiencing, experiencing the superabundance that Jesus came to give His followers as we walk this pilgrim way. I want to talk to you about living for God day by day and forming good life habits. Now, my goal today is not to give you some new insight. If you get a new insight through my my talk this morning, it's a freebie, okay? It's not my goal to give you some new insight. But what I hope to be able to do is to convince you by the end of my talk that you'll agree with me that our problem, my problem and yours, isn't a problem of knowledge. I think we have plenty of knowledge when it comes to what it means to be a Christian. I think that our problem in the Christian journey is one of motivation. It's a problem of doing, becoming doers of the Word, of making that, that trip from our intellect down into our spirit. It's, it's a problem of doing what we're supposed to do, and that the reason that many of us don't experience the abundance of Christ's life in us is that we aren't forming good life habits. And, and, and there are two in particular that I want to, to zero in on this morning. So take a look at, uh, at Romans 12 with me, if you would. And there Paul writes in Romans 12 and verse 1, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies, <coughs> pardon me, as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now, I believe that there ought to be a law or a rule that the the first two verses of Romans chapter 12 should not be read or quoted without having read the last verses of chapter 11. Because the last verses of chapter 11 belong with the first two verses of chapter 12. Even though there is a chapter demarcation there between chapter 11 and chapter 12, the two verses that open Romans 12 are an appeal from the Apostle Paul to bring your body to God and give it to Him for His use. But all the great reasons for doing this, that is the motivation for offering our bodies to God for His use, are provided to us in the closing words of chapter 11. And there Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches, the wisdom, and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable His judgments and His paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who, which of us has been the Lord's advisor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay Him? And then Paul kind of puts the punctuation point, the exclamation mark on this great doxological statement when he says, For from Him, from this great God who is unsearchable in His judgments and whose paths are beyond tracing, for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. And there's just kind of this outburst at the end. To Him be the glory forever. And then Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brother, in view of God's mercies, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, which is your reasonable act of worship. You see, there's a connection between this. Paul is saying uh, that the reason we offer ourselves to God like this is because this God that we serve is rich and wise and great and glorious. 
He's a God of love, a God of mercy. And this is our motivation for offering ourselves back to God as a living sacrifice. Now, what Paul is doing here, whether you realize it or not, is he's capitalizing on the language of Old Testament sacrifice and worship. If you study the Bible and you know anything about uh, uh, biblical culture and Jewish culture, you'll know that in the Old Testament worship, that the Old Testament worshiper was required to select a sacrifice that met a very stringent set of criteria. The worshiper, if, if wanting to come to worship the great and mighty God, would have to first find a perfect lamb, a lamb that was without spot or blemish. There could be no defect in your offering. It could not be the runt of the litter. It had to be the best of the pack. You had to find a lamb without spot or blemish. And then there were very specific laws that governed the preparation of your offering to God and how you prepared it for this lamb to be prepared as a gift of worship to God. And then finally, the lamb would be sacrificed. An Old Testament worshiper would bring his sacrifice to God in the temple in Jerusalem outside the holy place. And he would hand his offering, his lamb, this perfect lamb to the priest. And the priest would take it and slay it, slit its neck and let the blood flow and and then place the, the, the slain lamb on the altar on behalf of the person, the worshiper who was there to bring his offering to God. When someone brought the offering, it symbolized a worshiping heart because that's what God really wants. That's what He wanted even in the Old Testament period. You see, God was not only pleased with external offerings. He, that's not what He wanted, external offerings. What God was interested in was the heart. He's always wanted the heart. God wants your heart. He wants all of your heart, not just part of your heart, not just some rooms of your heart. He wants all of you. Unfortunately, there are some of us that are not experiencing the fullness of of God's life, of Christ's life in us, because we have cordoned off areas in our life and we've posted a no trespassing sign and we've said, God, you can go this far, but you can go no farther. There are parts of me that that I'm not going to allow you to come in because I'm afraid of what you'll make me do. But what God wants is our heart. He wants all of us. And He wants worshipers who will worship Him in spirit and in truth, as John 4 indicates. But we need to remember also that on this side of the cross of Calvary, on this side, the sacrifices that were required by the Old Testament law, they are no longer, hallelujah, they are no longer having any effect. Because Jesus Christ, listen to me, friends, Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, who was without sin, who knew no sin, was sacrificed up for us on Calvary's tree once and for all, never to be repeated again in history. And by His blood, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. By Christ's shed blood on Calvary, hallelujah to His name, you and I have eternal redemption through His sacrifice. And the sacrifice of Christ, once and for all, eliminates the need for sacrificing dead animals. 
Dead animals are no longer acceptable to God. No more dead offerings to God. But now, under the new covenant, since the cross of Christ, under this new covenant of grace, what kind of an offering does God want? Not dead ones any longer. He wants living ones. And so we as the redeemed people of God are now to offer up our lives as living sacrifices to God. This is the point. This is the exhortation of Paul. In view of God's mercies, this great, mighty God who's full of love and justice and power and holiness, whose ways are unsearchable, who's mysterious and beyond our finite categories, in view of His great mercies, Paul says, therefore I... He doesn't just say, I ask you. He says, I urge you to present, to offer your bodies. Isn't it interesting that He... He gets down and says, I want you to offer your bodies. You see, it's not, it's not just about our spirit. He wants us to offer our bodies, our whole self to Him. Our hands and our lips and our voices and our, our feet and our intellect. He wants us to offer our whole selves. I urge you to present your bodies as not dead sacrifices, but living sacrifices. And Paul says that in so doing, according to the end of verse 2 that we will, by offering ourselves to God as a living sacrifice, we will indicate, or using Paul's language here, we will prove, Paul says, what the will of God is. The will of God which is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, Paul is laying out his case that when you and I put our life on the line in full surrender to God, all that we are, when we say to the Lord, not my will, Lord, but thine be done. When you say to the Lord, from now on, Father, not what I want, but what you want. Whatever your will is, whatever according to you is good and acceptable and perfect. Lord, that's what I desire to do. When you say that, when you do that, you are a living sacrifice. You become the offering that's laid on the altar to God. And this is an acceptable and pleasing gift to God. It's what He really wants from you. Your heart. As we surrender to the Lord, the One who died for us all, we surrender to the Lord our hopes and plans and everything that is so precious and dear to us. And Paul makes his argument and he says, this is your spiritual worship. He uses the Greek word latreia. This is your service to God. You want to serve God? Then offer yourself, your whole self to God, your bodies to God, your hands, your voices. Lift these up to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. I think this is an important word for us to consider in this day of worship wars and when there are so many debates on what is the best way to worship God. Listen to me, friends. True worship, true worship that pleases and honors God does not consist of, of elaborate and impressive prayers, intricate liturgy, stained glass windows, lighted candles, this style of music, that style of music, these kinds of instruments, those kinds of instruments, that doesn't mean anything to God. Many of those things can be the outward form of genuine worship, 
But those things are only, hear me, those things are only acceptable to God only if the heart and the mind of the worship is focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. The only spiritual service of worship that honors and pleases God is the sincere, loving, thoughtful, and heartfelt devotion and praise of His children. That would be an interesting thing to do, to evaluate our worship services based on the heart motivation of every worshiper in the room. You might want to quickly scan the last 45 minutes and say, you know, what have I been doing here this morning? Have I been just going through this road routine that I go through every Sunday morning? You know, stand, sing a song, say a prayer, shake a hand, read some scripture, sing another song, listen to the sermon, yawn a few times, shake a hand, go eat lunch. You know, we could, some of us could do it in our sleep. Is that worship that is acceptable to God? I mean, we can have organs and pianos and trumpets and brass and, and all the rest. And if it's not coming from a, a heartfelt devotion to God, it is meaningless to God. We can have drums and guitars and bongos and bing-bangs and all the rest. And if it's not done out of a heartfelt devotion and praise to God our Father, it is meaningless to God. God wants our worship in spirit and in truth. He wants the offering, the sacrifice of our lips to be the offering, the offering of our lives. The only spiritual service of worship that honor and pleases God is sincere worship from the heart. So here we are in the opening of this tremendous passage on, on practical living in Paul's letter to the Romans. And he says, in view of God's great mercies, dear brothers and sisters, listen, if you just get a glimpse of the mercy of God and you remember what God has done for you and you remember how unsearchable this God is, you will not buck me on this. You will be pleased to offer yourself and present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And then he goes on in verse 2, and he instructs his audience to two life habits. Two life habits. One is in the negative. The other is in the positive. Two things that you and I, as followers of, of Christ, need to do on a repeated basis, not just once in a while, not just one time and then we're done, but, but repeatedly, we need to constantly be doing these two things. Paul says, this is what I really want you to, 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 to do as you walk with God. Number one, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. No longer be conformed to this world. It's a very interesting Greek verb that Paul uses there. He uses the word in the Greek, sun skematizo. Sun skematizo, which... which from which we get the English word schematic, a schematic. The word sun schematizo literally means to be stamped in a mold, like metal, to be molded in a press. Uh, you could translate what Paul is saying here when he says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. You could translate it rightfully like this. You could say, Paul is saying, stop allowing yourself to be 
squeezed into the mold of this world. What is the world's mold? The world's mold, in my opinion, is that that floating mass of ungodly ideas and behaviors that are separated from and hostile to a holy God. John said elsewhere in the scripture, John said, if anybody loves the world, do you remember what John said? Finish it for me. The love of the father is not in him. If anyone loves the world, John says, then the love of the Father is not in him. What John is saying is that if your whole affection, if your heart is bent toward the world and your love is toward the world, John says, not I, John says you are not a believer. But we would also need to analyze it and to admit that and realize that even as believers, even as believers in Christ, we can allow ourselves to be influenced by the pattern of this world and to adopt the spirit of this age. Even though we love Christ, even though we've repented of our sins and we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we too can be influenced. We can be shaped into the, the image of this world. And Paul says, warns, he says, a life habit number one, negative, yes, but don't, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't let it mold you into its kind of thought and behavior. Don't think like the world. Don't act like the world. On the other hand, he gives us a a second life habit. This one is cast in the positive. He says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but in the positive, he says, but be, what's the word Paul uses? Transformed. Be transformed. The the Greek word there is the word metamorpho. Can you imagine what English word we get from the Greek word metamorpho? Metamorphosis. When I think of metamorphosis, I think about my early science education in in grade school and and the the classic illustration of metamorphosis at work with the, the caterpillar and the the chrysalis and the cocoon and and then the metamorphosis that takes place mysteriously within the cocoon and bursting out comes this beautiful monarch butterfly. You are to be transformed, Paul says. Life habit number two. Transformed. You are to be metamorpho. You are to undergo a transformation. You are to allow yourself to be constantly being transformed. That's an interesting point because both of these words, conformed and transformed, and I don't want to impress you or bore you with Greek this morning, but it sheds some light on this because both the word conformed and transformed are in the present imperative and it it, it illustrates that it's something that's not done just once and for all, but it's something that is repeated. That is to say that this conforming thing, don't be conformed to the world, and this transforming thing, this metamorpho that should take place, is something that is not done just once and for all, but is repeated day after day after day after day after day. It is a life habit. It is something that you do again and again and again. Don't be squeezed into the mold of this world, but be metamorpho, be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind. Be constantly transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
And I wonder, who is it that's doing the transformational work? Who is it? It's the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God who lives within you and me. If you're a believer, the Spirit has taken up residence in you. You know that. None other than the Spirit of God is doing this transforming work in your heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18 makes that abundantly clear. It reminds us that it is God's Spirit that is transforming the faithful believer into the very image of Christ from one level of glory to the next. Look at what Paul says to the Corinthians. In fact, let's read it aloud together, shall we? And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. Stop. God's purpose for you and me is that we would be a reflection of God. That Christ is reflected through our life and we are reflection of the glory of the Lord to others. might be convicting to think about, I wonder how much of God's glory is being reflected out of my life to others. We are to reflect the Lord's glory. Let's go on. And are being transformed. Stop. Metamorpho. We are to be changed. Transformed. Natures changed. Lord's glory is reflected in our life and we are being transformed. It's a process. It's not a, a, a deal where, whoops, we're all of a sudden transformed. Ta-da! We are being transformed. So hopefully, what I am today is different from what I was yesterday. And what I am today will be different from where I'm going to be tomorrow in my journey with God. It, it is... A transforming process. Paul makes this very clear. Let's go on and, and read. Being transformed, go on, into His likeness with ever-increasing glory. Stop. We are to be transformed into what? The likeness of who? Jesus, I think that's whom. Jesus Christ. We are to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And how is that transformation taking place? Paul says, in an ever-increasing way. So it's building. It's gaining momentum. So that, that as I walk with God and I practice these life habits and as, as I daily not allow the world to squeeze me into its mold and I'm being transformed by the Holy Spirit who lives within, He has the power to do it. I can't do it in my own strength. I can't, it's, this is not a pick yourself up by the bootstraps religion. This is not through trying hard enough. This is not about your sheer discipline. This is about the transforming work of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and has a plan and a purpose for your life and wants to make you. What's His purpose? To make you, me, like Jesus Christ in an ever-increasing way. I want to stop there and go from preaching to meddling for a minute. <clears throat> It would be interesting to, to reflect upon those of you who have been walking with the Lord for a long time. Let's say, for instance, you've been walking with the Lord for five decades. <coughs> it would be interesting to evaluate whether the glory of the Lord is being reflected in your life in an ever-increasing way over five decades. Or, perchance, 
Are you spiritually in the same spot today than you were when you first came to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? You're stuck in the mud. You've gone nowhere. You've not increased in your maturity. You've not increased in your faith. The fruit of the Spirit has not increased in your life. You're no more joyful. You're no more loving. In fact, you're probably more crabby. That's not the will of God for you. The will of God for you is that in an ever-increasing way, that the glory of the Lord should be reflecting from your life and you should be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Some of you who are up there in years, you should be just shining glory all over the place. In fact, there should be so much glory reflecting from your faces that we should have to say to you, like the Israelites said to Moses, won't you please put a bag over your head? <laughs> but we don't have any need for bags. Because we're not being transformed into the likeness of Jesus in an ever-increasing way. Instead, we're being conformed into the mold of the world, the spirit of the age. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Oh, we didn't finish that verse. Let's finish it. Likeness with ever-increasing glory, and let's go on which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Again, this is done through the Spirit. It's not our self-effort. It is done through the Spirit's work in and through you. But in order for the Spirit of God to be able to do this transformational work in your life, guess what? You have to surrender yourself to Him and say, Here I am, Lord. I make myself an offering. I present myself to you. You have permission to work in my life wherever, however, whenever you want to. And when we give him that kind of all-out surrender, God can begin to move in and shape and mold and file off the rough edges and sand down the, the parts of us that, that aren't quite Christ-like. So, first, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Don't give way to the schemes of men. In other words, don't take on life habits that mimic the spirit of this age. What is the spirit of this age? I believe that the spirit of this age is the same that it has always been from generation to generation. The spirit of this age clearly is the advancement of self. Everybody in the world, I believe or most people, live to advance themselves. Just listen and you will see how true that is. You will hear them talk about it all the time. They will say, well, what am I going to get out of this? What's my angle? What's in it for me? You see, I believe that's the spirit of the age. How can I work this situation out for my benefit? And unless there's something in it for me, I'm not interested that's the spirit of the age. And what the Word of God is saying to us, what our text this morning is saying is, don't be stuck in that kind of thinking. Because that is wrecking life for so many. That is what is bringing heartache and ruin and disaster into so many lives. Don't live, Paul says, 
Don't live on that basis any longer. Don't get sucked into that kind of thinking. It's wrong. It is an approach that is twisted and distorted, and it won't work. Don't be trapped by it. Spirit of this age, concentrating on my personal happiness and meeting my needs. And unfortunately, this kind of thinking, this spirit of the age thinking, has infiltrated the church of Jesus Christ. I hear it among church people these days. Christians talk this way just as much as anyone else does. They say the reason why I'm working and living is so I can have my needs met, my desires filled. I hear church people talking about this about the church. You will say, well, why do you go to church? Well, because I want to have my needs met. Why do you go to church? Or you will hear them say, well, I think I'm going to leave this church. And I'm going to start attending somewhere else. And and if you ask them why they're going to leave and attend somewhere else, often they will say, I've heard it, because this one doesn't meet my needs anymore. As though the only reason for ever going to church is to have your needs met. Friends, that's the thinking of the world. That is the spirit of the age. When are we going to get it through our cotton-picking brains that this, the church of Jesus Christ, is not about us? It's not about our needs. It's not about having our wants and our desires fulfilled. The church of Jesus Christ is a gathering of God's redeemed people collected together, empowered by the Holy Spirit to take the Gospel to the whole world and to live for the glory of God. That is the church of Jesus Christ. And we've messed it and mucked it up so badly. It's not about us. And the Apostle is saying, church people, don't be conformed to this world. Don't conform any longer. Don't allow the world to pressure you into thinking that way any longer. And you say, well, Rick, that's really tough. And I would say, you bet it's tough. If you do this day after day after day, it gets very hard because you and I are going to be under constant pressure. And it could be that that pressure will get to you after a while. Everybody's thinking that way. Everybody's acting that way. Everybody's doing that. Don't conform. But be transformed. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Allow the mind of Christ to fill your mind so that you begin to see with new eyes and new perspective. Have a different view. Think like God. You need a mind that will see through and be discerning through all these silly schemes of the world. And that is the mind of Christ, as is spoken of in 1 Corinthians 2. The mind of Christ is the way of looking at life as Jesus does, seeing life as He sees it. It is seeing what is really there and not what seems to be there, seeing what is really of value and not what looks to be valuable. And you can't have that mind unless you are having your mind renewed Every day. Every day. And that's why I spend so much time pounding the sacred desk saying, 
get into the Word of God. Take your Bible and read it. Systematically study it. Meditate upon it. Reflect upon it. Get into the Word of God. The the sad thing to me is that there are some of us who seem to be much more conversant upon politics or upon Hollywood or musicians or whatever else. We are more expert on current events than we are in God's Word. Many of us are much more up on the latest news in People magazine than we are up on what's in God's Word. Many of us can parrot a whole lot more about what Rush Limbaugh said this past Tuesday afternoon at 2.30 than what God said to us yesterday morning at 6.30. We need the mind of Christ. How are we going to get the mind of Christ? We need to get into the Word of God. David says, Your Word, O Lord, have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against You. This is not about checking something off on your list. Well, we're done with our quiet time today. No, when you read the Word of God, this Word is being hidden in your heart and it's, and it's shaping you, it's renewing you, it's molding you, molding you into the likeness of Jesus. And hopefully as you systematically feed on the Word of God and, and the Spirit illumines the, the Word of God to you, you are becoming in an ever-increasing way more and more like Jesus, reflecting the glory of God until people around you say, would you please put a bag over your head? Two life habits. Once and for all, you present your bodies as living sacrifices. That you must do. And once you do that, then in a repeated way, renewed day after day after day after day until the Lord calls you home. Do not be squeezed into the world mold. Don't be conformed. Soon schematizo. But be transformed. Metamorpho into the likeness of Jesus. And this is what is pleasing to God. Two life habits that if you take them seriously will bring you onto a path of blessing and power in your life and will cause the abundance of God's love and mercy to not just fill you up, but will flow over in your life to others. A reflection of God. So I ask you this morning, are you being conformed? Or are you being transformed? Which way is it with you? Only you and God really know for sure. Be honest with God. And if the influence of the spirit of this age is having its way in you, then maybe you need to ask God for help and the power of the Spirit to be released in your life so that you could be made more like Jesus in every way. We never arrive. We're on this journey together. I'm on it just like you're on it. We're all seeking this together. Let's seek it with all of our hearts and make ourselves the offering. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank you for this.
portion of Scripture this morning that, that smacks us in our face, Lord, with truth. We recognize, Lord, just how influential the pattern of this world, the spirit of this age, <coughs> has been. And we would readily <coughs> acknowledge, O oh Lord, that far too many of us have been uh, in opposition to your word. We have been squeezed into the world's mold. Forgive us and have mercy on us. And we pray, Lord, that you would release the power of your Holy Spirit who lives within and that you would assist us, Lord, in this daily life habit of being renewed in our mind with the mind of Christ so that we might be transformed, that a metamorphosis would take place in our hearts and lives in an ever-increasing way so that the glory of God would be reflected on our faces, in our speech, in our thought patterns, in our relationship, in our business doings, in our workplace, in our homes. Let your will be done in our lives. This morning, Lord, each of us lay our lives out before you and make ourselves the offering. We surrender our all to you. Be pleased with our spiritual act of worship. We pray. Mm-hmm.